بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا وشفيعنا وحبيبنا محمدا عبده ورسوله وصفيه وخليله نشهد أنه قد بلغ الرسالة وأدى الأمانة ونصح الأمة وكشف الغمة وجاهد في سبيل ربه حتى أتاه اليقين وصلى الله وسلم بارك عليه وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في محكم تنزيله بعد أن أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والسابقون الأولون من المهاجرين والأنصار والذين اتبعوهم بإحسان رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله اختارني واختار لي أصحابا وأنصارا وأسهارا فسيأتي قوم يسبونهم ويستنقصونهم فلا تجالسوهم ولا تواكلوهم ولا تشاربوهم ولا تناكحوهم أو كما قال صلى الله تبارك وتعالى عليه وسلم My dear respected brothers and elders, respected our ulama, mashayikh, students of knowledge, brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Indeed, this is a very inspiring topic I was granted about speaking about the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een. This galaxy of selected individuals that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to be the companions of his beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has praised the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam extensively in the Qur'an. In the ayah that I recite in front of you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ Those who are the early predecessors, مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ From both amongst the immigrants, as well as those who were the helpers of Medina. The immigrants, the muhajireen of Mecca, and the Ansar, the helpers of Medina. And those who followed after them in righteousness, in goodness, in ihsan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has declared in the Quran, radiyallahu anhum, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them. Allah is pleased with them. They have achieved the ridwan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Jannah and the blessings of Jannah, Jannah tu adnin yadkhulunaha, the gardens of eternity they will enter, there will, be gar- there will be rivers flowing and there will be palaces and the beautiful description of Jannah is, is given and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what is the biggest blessing of Jannah Akbar. and achieving the eternal pleasure and happiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the height of the achievement this is the greatest blessing ever achievable, conceivable for a human being so that Ridwan, Allah has already promised them. As it comes in one hadith, Rasulullah will say, after all the, has said that after all the people of Jannah will enter Jannah. And everyone has reached their respective palace and everyone has settled down. Subhanallah. May Allah make us amongst them. Say Amin. Then announcement will be called that everyone is requested to gather. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to address everyone. And then the entire Ahl Jannah will be gathered together. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask them that beg for me whatever you want and I will grant it to you. So everyone will be begging and asking for whatever they desire to the extent of their imaginations. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant them all of that and, and many times more than that. 
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, what else do you want? And they will come to the end of their limits of, of asking. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, shall I not give you something that is even greater than all of the above? That now I have granted you my eternal pleasure and I assure you that I will never ever be displeased with you. The assurity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant that He is eternally happy and that He will never ever be displeased. If we have any connection, any allegiance to Allah, any loyalty to Allah, if you feel we are a slave of Allah and Allah is our master, and then we think about these words, what, what does it mean? It means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is assuring us that no matter what happens, unconditionally He will always be happy with us. This is the exact opposite. May Allah protect us because there's targhib and tarheeb, there's encouragement and also warning. Rasulullah sallallahu was a bashiran wa nadira, bringer of glad tidings and warner as well. The other extreme we also see uh, is that the people in Jahannam, in the fire of Jahannam when they'll be burning, and they will be crying out, Ya Malik Rabbuk. That, O Malik, O the guardians of Jahannam, we wish that we can die here, bring death upon us. They will be invoking death, asking and begging for death so to an end for the torment. They will be responsible, will come that no, you will remain therein forever. And they will cry out, Rabbana akhrijna minha fa'in'udna fa'inna zalimun. Oh Allah, take us out from this Jahannam. If we return back to our sins, then we can remain here forever. But give us another chance. So they will be calling out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the final communication from Allah to them will be the exact opposite of what we just mentioned earlier. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, قَالَ فِيهَا وَلَا تُكَلِّمُونِ Burn therein forever in disgrace. And do not even dare to speak back to me. Final communication. Don't speak to me. I don't want to hear from you anything anymore. They were my beautiful slaves who used to say, Oh our Lord, we believe in you. Forgive us and shower your mercy upon us. You are the most uh, merciful. And what did you do? You used to mock them, you used to laugh at them, you used to jeer at them. And you forgot about my remembrance. You used to laugh at them. I have rewarded them today for their patience. They faced your Islamophobic attacks. You laughed at them. They are the successful ones today. So this is a warning for us. We do not want to be on the uh, receiving end of this statement. This is one of the most terrifying ayahs that I personally find when I read the Quran. Burn there and forever. Don't speak to me. I don't want to hear it. That's it. This is very, very, very terrifying. It strikes terror in your soul. It should. On the other side, subhanallah, waridwanum min Allahi akbar. And the pleasure of Allah is the greatest blessing. Eternal pleasure of Allah. La asqatu alaykum ba'da abada. I shall never, ever, ever be displeased with you. So, this highest level of Jannah and this greatest blessing of Jannah has already been promised to this group in the Quran. When we take their name, we say, Allah is pleased with him. Or may Allah be pleased with him. Subhanallah.
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La yastawi minkum man anfaqa min qabl al-fathi wa qatal ulaika a'adamu darajah min al-lazina anfaqu min ba'du wa qatalu wa kullan wa'adallahu al-husna. In Surah Al-Hadid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they can never be equal in the eyes of your Lord. Those who spend in the path of Allah, those who strive in the path of Allah before the conquest of Makkah, and those who did after the conquest of Makkah. Before the conquest of Makkah, it was difficult. It was time of sacrifice. After the conquest of Makkah, it became very easy. Islam became the dominant way of life in the Arabian Peninsula. People enter the fold of Islam in large numbers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who accepted Islam in the time of difficulty, their status is higher in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But at the end Allah says, وَكُلَّنْ وَعَدُ husna." But Allah has promised Jannah for both groups. Al-Husna here refers to Jannah بِعِتِفَاقِ mufassirin. With the consensus of all the scholars of Tafsir, Al-Husna is referred to Al-Jannah. It means Jannah over here in this ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu Muhammadur Rasulullah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And those are the companions who were accepted Islam on his hands with him, believed in him in his time, strove with him. They're strong against the enemies of Islam. They're merciful and kind amongst themselves. Sometimes you will see them in the condition of ruku'ah. Sometimes you'll see them in the condition of sujood, prostration and bowing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are always seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they have gotten it. They have, they have achieved that. And they did not become sahaba on their own accord. Right? The blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are divided into two. One are called ni'am wahhabiya and one is ni'am kasabiya. Those blessings which are granted by Allah, you cannot personally make any effort to acquire it. And those that are based upon effort, kasab. So just like nubuwah, prophethood, is something which is wahhabiya, granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no formula that you perform so many nafal rakats of tahajjud, you fast so many days, you give so much sadaqah for so many years, and you continue to climb spiritually, and then you will become a nabi. Even when nubuwah was open. Of course now, ana khatamul anbiya ila nabiya ba'di. I am the seed of the prophets, no prophet to come after me. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah said, He is a seal of the prophets. He is a seal of the prophets. We have to be aware of some, one of the, some of the masajids, you know, Muhammad Ali Lahori, if you see the translation, he translates this. And one of the masjids I went to, there was a translation of the Quran by Qadiani. I showed the masjid board I, who was there, I could meet. Look at the translation. He is the most perfect of the prophets. You see, sometimes it looks, of course, he's the most perfect, but they are now denying he's the last one. So they translated it as he's the most perfect prophet. We believe that he is the seal of the prophets, the final prophet. So no prophet can come down. But even when Nubu'ah was open, Nubu'ah is granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to whomsoever he wished. Wilaya, the and closeness to Allah and to become a wali and friend of Allah is open. There is no restriction that somebody cannot become a Junaid Baghdadi today or a sister cannot become Rabia Basriya today. The doors are open. If a person makes effort, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant that close wilayah. The friends of Allah, they have no fear, no grief. That door is open. But Nubuwa was 
Wahhabi. Just like in physical attributes, since we are so uh, fascinated with our physical attributes nowadays in this culture, so height, this is given by Allah. This is ni'mah wahhabiya. Color of the skin is given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if somebody, you know, is working hard in the gym and he's developing muscles, no pain, no gain, he's, tr- he's working out, he has a six-pack, can, can someone say, oh, you were just born with a six-pack? No, man, he worked hard for that. So this is na'ma kasabiyya, something he earned. So likewise, nubuwa is wahhabiya, granted by Allah. And just like Nubuwa is granted by Allah, Suhbah, becoming a Sahabi of Rasulullah is something that no one made special effort for, but was rather selected by Allah. Rasulullah said, Inna Allah ikhtarani. Verily Allah has selected me, chosen me. That is why he is known as Al-Mustafa, the chosen one. Al-Mujtaba, the selected one. So Allah has chosen me, waqtara li, and he has chosen for me. My Ansar, my, com- my helpers, my Ashab, my companions. My ashar, my relatives, my in-laws. Even the marriages of Rasulullah s.a.w. were selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he warned and he said, فَسَيَأْتِي قُومٌ يَسُبُونَهُ Some people will come later, they will curse my companions. They will curse my sahaba. وَيَسْتَنْقِصُونَهُمْ They will try to find faults in them. What did Rasulullah s.a.w. warn about such people? He said, فَلَا تُجَالِسُهُمْ Do not even sit in the company of such people. When you see people discussing the ayats of Allah in a negative manner, the hadith of Rasulullah s.a.w. in a negative manner, attacking the sahaba, what does Allah say in the Qur'an about such gatherings? وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَ الَّذِينَ يَخُوضُونَ فِي آيَاتِنَا فَأَعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ حَتَّى يَخُوضُوا فِي حَدِيثٍ غَيْرِهِ that when you see people denying the ayats of Allah or talking ill of Allah and the Rasul or the companions, then stay away from that gathering. Until the topic changes. في حديث غيري وَإِمَّا يُنْسِيَنَّكَ الشَّيْطَانِ فَلَا تَقْعُدْ بَعْدَ ذِكْرَى مَعَ الْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ And if shaitan makes you forget and you, you continue to sit in the gathering, then as soon as you recall this ayah, Allah says, get up and leave that gathering. فَلَا تَقْعُدْ Don't remain sitting. بَعْدَ ذِكْرَى After you re- recollect and remember. With those who are committing this grave injustice. Then you will become one of them. You will become like them. So Rasulullah said, Fala Don't sit with such people. Don't even eat food with such people. Do not drink water in the company of such people. SubhanAllah. Do not marry any of them. So this is something that is a reality that people are attacked the integrity of the Sahaba. And we don't have to be shy to aware, be aware of this, that that big segment, a big very famous group, sect that call themselves Muslim who attack the Sahaba are the Shia. Many of the young students perhaps don't know, but the elders should be aware. If not, we should know that they actually believe that with the exception of a few Sahaba, Ali radiallahu anhu, Ammar ibn Yasir Salman Farsi the entire group of galaxy of Sahaba became munafiq. They're all hypocrites. The initial people upon whom the Quran was revealed upon Rasulullah, the initial recipients of the revelation, the addressees of the revelation, recipient to, of course was Rasulullah. They perhaps would be considered the first addressees. 
the vanguard of this ummah, they were all hypocrites. Because they accepted that by ijma the Khilafah Abu Bakr radiallahu whereas he was supposed to be Ali radiallahu as they say, as they claim. So any of the young men here, if you were planning to get married to a Shia girl, you need to reconsider that. Do not marry any one of them. This is the order of Rasulullah Abdullah radiallahu anhu says, لا تسبوا أصحاب محمد فلا مقاموا أحدهم ساعة خير من عملكم عمرة Do not dare to say anything bad about the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For if any one of them stood for a few moments in the ibadah of their Lord, then it is better than your entire life of good deeds. خير من عملكم عمرة Abdullah Ibn Umar when he describes the Sahaba عنهم, he says they had the deepest knowledge of the deen they had the purest of purest hearts clean clean hearts they had the least formalities of so called culture which actually makes life difficult they had no takalluf this word is used in Urdu right they had the least takalluf, least formalities. They were the lanterns of guidance, in short. So this group is our, they are ideals. They are our models for us to follow. We have within us, from childhood, Allah Ta'ala has created within us this desire to look up to people, to follow in their footsteps, to adore, to, uh, to honor we have this desire in, inbuilt within us. But the object of who we look up to and idealize, idolize is, as unfortunately, we have gone astray in that. We need to recalibrate that. If we have the desire to compete with one another, then Allah Ta'ala says, keep that desire of competition. But instead of competing in material things, Compete in the acquiring the hereafter. Compete like Abu Bakr and Umar competed. And if you have the desire to follow great people and to be inspired by them, then we have this beautiful galaxy of Sahaba. Rasulullah he is the father of the Ummah. He is like our teacher. So he is the ultimate model. Of course, no doubt about that. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ For you in the noble life of Rasulullah is the best example. But at the end of the day, as students we can never reach the level of the teacher, of the master. So there are in fact certain things which are unique to Rasulullah in which we can never follow him. فَتَحَجَّدْ بِهِ نَافِلَةً لَكَ The tahajjud salah was farad on Rasulullah sallallahu It's not farad on us. Allah mentioned Surah Bani Israel. Allah Ta'ala, Rasulullah sallallahu used to fast the whole day without suhoor, without iftar, without dinner. The next day, without suhoor, whole day, second day fast, without iftar, without dinner, third day, without suhoor, fasting. صُومُ الْوِصَالِ نَحَا Rasulullah sallallahu عَنْ صُومِ الْوِصَالِ He used to fast the صُومُ الْوِصَالِ Continuous fast. And he prohibited it for the ummah. My Lord, he gives me to eat and to drink in supernatural manner. So we do not have that ability. 
I'm giving these examples. Because when you talk about special attributes of Rasulullah first thing people say, oh, he had, we are restricted to four wives, he had nine wives. Na'udhu Billah. Up to the age of 25, he remained completely abstinent. Then he married a woman who was twice previously married, 40 years of age, Khadijah al-Kubra anha. He had a single wife the entire time he was married to her. All of these nikahs happened at the end were for different particular purposes of da'wah. Each one has their own story. Which is not the subject of today's talk. The leaders of Makkah, they gathered together and they came to Rasulullah and said that, Ya Muhammad, if you want women, we'll give you all the most beautiful girls of Makkah. If you want money, we'll make you the most richest man of Makkah. If you want power, we'll order a crown and put on your head and coronate you as the king of Makkah. But just give up this da'wah. He said, if I bring the sun from the sky and put it in my right hand, and bring the sun from the sky, put it in my right hand. Bring the moon from the sky, put it in my left hand. I will not give up the da'wah. He was not a womanizer. Nothing of the third. These are the false allegations that enemies of Allah are making against our beloved Habib, our master and beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah. So in any case, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, In Allah ikhtarani, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen me, wa li, and he has chosen for me, ansaran, ashaban, washaran. My relatives, my in-laws, all my marriages were, were decided by Allah, my companions were selected by Allah, and my helpers were selected by Allah. The companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned here, ansaran, my helpers. The Ansar, they have a very, very, very high status in, the, in our deen. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentions so many verses of the Ansar for the sacrifices for the deen. In the books of hadith, there is one kitab known as Kitabul Manaqib, the book on the virtues of different individuals. Then under the Kitabul Manaqib, then they have different abwab, different subchapters. So there will be a subchapter on the fadail of muhajireen, virtues of the immigrants, fadail of Ansar. Virtues of the helpers of Medina. The fadail of the Ashara Mubashara, 10 Sahaba guaranteed Jannah. The fadail of Khulafa Rashidin, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali. All the four names together in one hadith. Fadail of Ahlul Badr. The fadail of Ashabul Hudaybiyah, 1400. All the different groups. Each one of them has their specific virtues. So, no matter what I was saying is, before. I was uh, emotionally overcome by the attacks against Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Is that how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as the teacher and the best example for all of us. We have to follow him. But at the same time, there are certain aspects that are unique to him. And I mentioned the tahajjud, we saw it and other things like that. Like when he would sleep, his wudu would not break. Because when we sleep, we go into a complete state of ghafla, and we do not know if we have passed gas or not. But Rasulullah even in that state, if you would see a dream, it would be wahi. Ya bunayya inni ara fil manami anni athbahuka fandur madha talaqa ya abatifa'al ma tu'man. As the previous Khalilullah Ibrahim said to his son, Oh my dear son, I saw a dream, I was slaughtering you. What do you think about it? He said, complete the order that you have been ordered by Allah, Oh my dear father. 
He saw a dream, the son knew it was a wahi from Allah. So the prophets, when, even when they sleep, their wudu does not break. So as these special attributes are there, we cannot necessarily follow them in everything. We are not going to follow them perhaps in the tahajjud. We may not follow in the somal we saw, but we'll say, oh, he had nine wives. Why can I not have nine wives? We cannot follow. We have to say this is a khususiyah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When Rasulullah sallallahu made the tawaf in Hajjat al-Wada' he did on a camel. He made the tawaf. And he told the people, Hudu anni manasikakum. Look closely, how am I doing tawaf? And learn from me how to fulfill this obligation. First hajj in Islam and also last hajj in Islam. In Makkah, they were the underdog, they were below, they did not have authority. In Medina, up to eight years, they did not have control over Makkah. Eighth year, Fatih Makkah. Ninth year, he sent Abu Bakr as the Amir al-Hajj. And tenth year, performed Hajj himself. After coming back to Medina, a few weeks later, he passed away. In the eleventh year of Hijrah. So first Hajj and last Hajj. Now today, if somebody says, Rasulullah made tawaf on a camel. If they want to make tawaf on a camel, this is haram. To desecrate the house of Allah is haram. Are you, can you control the bladder of your camel? Can you control that it will not defecate as he's walking? So if your camel is defecating and is urinating in the mataf where people are making tawaf and performing salah, then you say you're following the sunnah. Right? That is why this is a big distinction you have to make. What is hadith of Rasulullah and what is the sunnah? Sunnah is a tariqah al-masluka fi deen. That way that you adopt to follow the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as shown by Rasulullah sallallahu is a sunnah. But the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu there are many things in the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu We can't just open Sahih Bukhari and start following any hadith and say this is sunnah. Everything in the hadith is not necessarily sunnah. Everything that is sunnah is proven from hadith, but not every hadith is sunnah. Rasulullah sallallahu made tawaf on a camel because innaha ma'mura, as he said about his camel qaswa at the time of hijrah, when he entered into Medina, he said, utrukha fa innaha ma'mura, leave it because it is commanded by his Lord. The camel knows where to stop. This was a, the genius of Rasulullah where everyone wanted to host him and if he would select one home to become a guest there, then other people would be upset. How, how mad can you get at a camel? So he said, Utrukha, the camel, leave it. Wherever the camel stops, I will stay there. The camel stopped by Abu Ayyub al-Ansari. He said, okay. Now if you don't get mad at me for giving him preference, this is the camel. And the camel is not his own choice, but it's commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are special attributes of Rasulullah sallallahu But when it comes to the Sahaba, we have this affinity. How do we have this affinity? That they are our brothers in the sense that our elder brothers, for sure. Elder, we add the word elder, but they are our brothers. They're not the father figure. They're brother figure. Elder brother figure. Because Rasulullah sallallahu as the Nabi is the father of the ummah. His wives are the mothers of the ummah. And then the entire ummah, we are all the... We are all like the progeny of that father. So who is the best? It are the Sahaba. So they are the elder brothers. Is there any specific command for them, not for us? No. Any specific rusa for them, not for us? No. They have the same obligations we have. They have responsibilities we have. We can follow them 100%. And it is an example of a teacher and the students. The Sahaba are the ones sitting in the front line. They are the first place students. They are the gold medalists. We, inshallah, are behind them. I don't know how far behind them, Allah knows. We are in the back of the class. Or, but if we can enter Jannah with them, that is the greatest achievement for us, inshallah. But they are our classmates. That is why 
at every single level, whatever quality you have, whatever psychology you have, whatever uh, perception you have in life and whatever attributes you have and take on life and different abilities, potential that you might be gifted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will find someone you can relate to amongst the Sahaba. For those who are scholars and have academic uh, interests, then they, find, they can find great Sahaba to relate to. Scholars of fiqh like Umar ibn al-Khattab and Ali ibn Abi Talib and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Scholars of hadith like Abu Huraira and Anas ibn Malik. Scholars of sunnah like Abdullah ibn Umar And scholars of tafsir like Abdullah ibn Abbas Those who are men of, not the men of the pen, but men of action, then they are examples of Abu Dujana Salama ibn Akwa who used to run as fast as a horse and at the same time would be firing his arrows from his bow. Master runner and master marksman. We have examples of Abu Dujana radiallahu anhu, Khalid bin Walid, Sayfullah al-Maslul, the sword of Allah. His entire body was covered with wounds. He threw himself without any fear into the heart of the enemy. And then he was crying on his deathbed that how am I dying at home? And then he was consoled by the Sahaba. They said, Oh Khalid, you did not spare any effort to give your life for the sake of Allah. With 500 of your crack horsemen, you would face thousands and thousands, 30,000, 60,000 of the Roman soldiers. You did not give up any opportunity against Shahada, but it's not your fault. Rasulullah after the battle of Mu'tah had given you the title that Sayyidullah, you are the sword of Allah. And when he gave you that title, your fate was sealed. There's no one who can break the sword of Allah. You cannot be killed by the enemy of Allah. We have such examples. For women, we have the examples, subhanAllah, women who are scholarly women and academic students of knowledge can, fall, can be inspired by Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha and her knowledge. One third of the knowledge is narrated from her. The Sahaba, when they would have disagreements regarding matters, they would say, let us consult with our mother. Aisha, Umm al-Mu'mineen radiallahu anha, she will decide between us. They have the zuhud and the asceticism and the taqwa of Fatima radiallahu anha. They have the support for the husband and the khidmah and service of Khadija radiallahu anha. There's so many beautiful examples of women for our women, of men for our men. For the merchants, they have examples of Uthman ibn Affan, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, great wealthy businessmen. For farmers, we have the Ansar of Medina. For businessmen, the Muhajirin of Mecca. For every single group. And those who are Zahideen, who give up the worldly adornments, they have examples of Abu Dhar Ghifari and others who are ascetics in the truest sense. There are examples of governors and governed. There are examples from all different walks of life in this noble group of Sahaba. So our topic today is that how they, through their akhlaq, through their character, became the genuine ambassadors of faith. These Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they were not ma'asum like the Anbiya. Ma'asum means divinely protected from committing sins. They might have made mistakes, but they are maghfur, they are granted forgiveness, promised forgiveness by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we find through their character, through their akhlaq, how they changed the destiny of, of populations across the world.
generations and generations of people throughout the world in the Middle East and beyond that have Islam and are dying on the kalimah la ilaha illallah will enter Jannah. It is through the akhlaq and the da'wah of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu ajma'in. Their da'wah was very simple. They were in such a position, they could literally say, Kunu mithlana, become like us. People were ready to become like them. People fell in love with them when they would see their behavior, see their akhlaq, see their character. On one occasion, we have this story that from the time of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Yazid bin Abi Sufyan radiallahu anhu, Mu'awiyah bin Abi Sufyan radiallahu anhu, Sa'ad bin Abi, uh, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah radiallahu anhu, and Shurahbil ibn Hassana radiallahu anhu. These were four generals. And they had conquered four, they were governing four different regions in Sham. Bilad al-Sham was one country, which is now divided into so many different countries after World War I when the Khilafah was, was broken up. Modern day Jordan and Syria and Palestine, Palestine and Israel and Lebanon. This whole region was called Sham. So there were four different regions. Then what happened is, Heraqal or Heracles, the Eastern Roman Emperor, the Byzantine Emperor, he prepared an army of 200,000 soldiers to come for one final attempt to destroy and vanquish the Muslim army. So these people who are in four different regions, they only had 10,000, 10,000, 10,000, 20,000 soldiers. Very few. So they thought, how are we going to meet this very huge army? How many small groups they are who have defeated large numbers with the permission of Allah. This is the battle of Yarmouk I'm referring to. So then, they, the, the leaders of the Shurahbil ibn Hassan radiallahu anhu visited his grave in Jordan, Sahabi Shaheed, and also Mu'abiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan, Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah. They gathered together, they said that. We have to adopt means and trust in Allah. From the perspective of physical means, it does not make sense for us to be divided. So let us all regroup together and gather together at one point so we will be in a better position to resist this army and to fight our, uh, this army that is coming. Now where should they regroup? They decided to regroup at the southern border, nearest to the Arabian Peninsula, so that Umar radiallahu anhu, if you'll be sending reinforcements to help them, then it'll be easy for them to catch up. And for that, they had to temporarily evacuate the areas that they had already occupied. It was a tactical retreat, not due to defeat, but a tactical decision they made based on their experience in, in military action, what to do, what is the most appropriate way of action. So they, when they retreated, look at the adal, look at the justice, that they went, they're, they're in a very difficult position Time is of essence, they have to regroup, they have to defend themselves. 200,000 army is coming, imperial army of the Byzantine Empire, greatest superpower on the earth. But they took the time to go door to door and they returned the minimal jizya tax of a few gold coins per year that would be, was taken from those civilians. And when they were returning it, they said, we had taken this money from you with the promise that, we, that you are exempted from military duty as non-Muslim uh, citizens of the Islamic State, 
this word has become a, a very bad word now, genuine the Islamic state. And now we do not, we are not in a position to guarantee your honor. We have, when, we give, when you took the jizya, that means, okay, you are giving jizya to Darul Islam, to the Khilafat of Umar radiallahu We guarantee protection of your home, protection of your honor, protection of your way of life, protection of your houses of worship, protection and right for you to worship Allah as you want to. You had all of these rights. And this was our, our responsibility. This is the responsibility when we take the jizya. And now we are evacuating this area. We are moving back. We are moving further south now. So therefore, we give you this money back. The people who had been unjustly taxed for generations by the Romans who were, who were milking them and forcing them hard labor. And they had to give big percentages of all their produce to the king who was taking it with dhulman out of oppression, they were crying. They said, please, 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 why are you leaving us? We want you to be our rulers. We don't want anyone to rule over us but you. Please come back. Don't leave us. They said, if Allah wills, we will return. But this is the money, take it back. This is how Islam spread. Through the genuine ambassadors of faith. These were the ambassadors of faith. Returning the jizya money to people. And this was not limited to the time of the Khulafa Rashidin, even afterwards. There's an amazing story. You might have heard of Samarqand and Bukhara. They're great famous cities where Muhaddithin, Mawara and Nahar, the great scholars. Our Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Bukhari, al-Yamani, al-Jafi. He is a great scholar of hadith from Bukhara. In Samarqand, do you know how Samarqand entered into the fold of Islam? The entire city of Samarqand accepted Islam on one day. The entire city entered the fold of Islam in one day. What happened is, the particular general who was spreading Islam in that region, he made a small mistake, he made a mistake, it's not a small mistake, it's actually a big blunder, is that before giving da'wah to the people of Samarqand, as the instruction of Rasulullah to Ali radiallahu anhu in the battle of Khaybar, he said, tomorrow I will give the flag to someone that Allah is and his Rasul are pleased with and love. Everyone was looking, who is going to get the flag? And then he called Ali, oh Ali, the next day, come. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I have some sickness in my eye. Rasulullah put his saliva in his eye, gave him the flag. And he said, oh Ali, go. First invite him, ud'uhum ila al-Islam. Ya Ali, la'in yahdi Allahu bika rajulan. وَاحِدًا خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا وَمَا فِيهَا وَخَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنْ حُمْرٍ نَعَمْ فِي رُوَاءِ أُخْرَى Oh Ali, if one person is guided through you, it is better for you than the entire world and whatever it contains. Don't worry about the forts of Khaybar and the treasures of Khaybar. Better than the entire world and whatever it contains if one person is guided to Islam through you. Or better for you than uh, red camels. If they do not accept, then after that ask them to give jizya and become part of the Muslim empire. And if they do not accept that, then there is the then the sword will decide between us. So he did not go and give them da'wah. He already was of the impression that they are hardcore against Islam and through their past experiences they've been having with them that they are going to not accept Islam. Because the da'wah had reached them of course. It's not that the da'wah never reached them. He did not formally get, invite them. That's all he did. And he attacked. And he took over the guard houses and the, and the forts and he took over the city. He conquered the city and occupied it. 
So the leaders of the city went underground and they had a meeting. They said they knew the rules of engagements of the Muslims. They had studied the seer, the kitab seer, the books of, of fiqh that we have. They knew it. They saw it. If they studied or not, they saw the practice of the Muslims. So they said that this person, he did not formally invite us. There's a violation here. How did he take over our city? So they sent a messenger. From Samarkand, if you know a little bit, geography is all the way in the east. Former Soviet Republic. And all the way from the east, this, this region, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan in the east, from there, they sent a rider all the way west to Dimashq which was the capital of the Banu Umayyah. And this was the glorious Khilafah of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Rahimullah. So he came riding, riding, galloping, running with the message of his people. And he came into Dimash and he asked the people, where is the palace of Amir al-Mu'mini? So somebody pointed to a, a hut that was made of, you know, when we learned the Ajur and Labina, there's different types of bricks. When you learn the vocabulary in this back in the first year, Arabic Zaban Sabak, ten lessons in the Arabic language. Pakki int and kachi int. That's where I got introduced to this. There are two types of bricks. Baked bricks and unbaked bricks. There's no concept of kachi int here, unbaked bricks. Unbaked bricks are not even they're made from the clay and they're not put in the oven and made solid, such that when it, heavier rains come, then the wall collapses. So there was a hut of unbaked bricks that had collapsed and there was one laborer there who was fixing the wall. So the person said, oh, that's the Amir Mu'minin. That's, that's the house of the residence of the Amir Mu'minin. So the man said, do not joke with me. Do not jest with me. My people are in trouble. I am a messenger of an oppressed people. I have come with a very important com complaint to the Amir Mu'minin. And why are you uh, joking with me? They said, that's the man you want to go. You want to talk to him? Go ahead or be my guest. Just leave me alone. That's the person I'm, in, I'm telling you. So then finally he said, okay, let me ask this laborer. He might help me. So he said, can you guide me towards the Amirul Mu'minin? So he said, I am Umar bin Abdul Aziz. I am the Khalid. I am the servant of the people. Then he was taken aback. So then he said, this is what happened. In Samarkand, the, the, the general, he overtook the city. He didn't even give us da'wah. He said, he became very upset. How dare he do that? He said, okay, just wait. So it comes in the narration that he took a small piece of paper, right? And he took a small little chit. He tore a small little piece of paper. He didn't even take the whole paper. He wanted to, you know, be green, reduce, reuse, and recycle. So he took a small little piece of paper and he wrote something, he scribbled on it. You know, now the kids, you guys have, you know, texting and everything. But when we were in school, people used to pass notes. <laughs> They used to actually write notes and then pass it. Then you would get in trouble if the teacher catches you. So like that, he wrote a small little piece of paper. He folded it up and gave it to him. This. Take this. He said, that's it? You just give me the little post-it note? He said, inshallah, this is sufficient for your need. He said, I came so far, O king, and you, I need some a messenger with a royal proclamation, something. He said, just take this. That is all he was given, so he had to go back. He went back all the way to Samarkand. And they went to the general who now became the governor of the city. And they presented that chit, little note from Amir al-Mu'minin. When he opened it and he read it, then he started shivering. And he made the proclamation. All the troops, evacuate the city. We will give up every position 
We retreat, we leave. We leave Samarkand, we go outside. So they voluntarily gave up the guard post, gave up the fort, gave up the control they had. The entire army retreated, went outside the city of Samarkand, and went outside. And from there, on the trumpet now, they said, Ya Ahla Samarkand, O oh, the people of Samarkand, we invite you towards Islam. You tell me now, what are the people of Samarkand going to say? The men and the women, the young and the old, the educated and educated, the merchants, the farmers, the ruling class and the ruled. In one voice they said, if this is Islam, then Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. We want to be part of this ummah. These were the ambassadors of faith. Who practice Islam, who implemented the teachings of Islam. There are, this is by the way, not an isolated incident of giving up territory. I gave you the example of returning the jizya. I gave you the example of Samarqan. In the time of Muawiyah radiallahu anh, with the Eastern Roman Empire, there was an, uh, an, um, a period of time where they had signed a treaty of non-aggression pact. So, cessation of hostilities. What happened is, the general who was on the front, he was smart. He prepared his army, he got them ready, he brought them, amassed them on the border, but he did not cross the border. When the date of the treaty expired, as soon as it expired, he made a surprise attack and entered into the enemy territory. territory. And they were not expecting it. And quickly, one by one, the forts began to fall, and he advanced far into uh, modern-day Turkey, which is constant, uh, closer towards Constantinople. And this news reached Muawiyah who was Amir at that time. He again became very upset. And he sent a messenger with the flag. And the Muslim army was waiting, arresting, and they saw a person approaching from the rear with a flag. And he was calling out on a trumpet, and he was calling out this announcement and proclamation Wafa'un la ghadar. Wafa'un la ghadar. That we have to be loyal to our treaties. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu awfu bil uqud. Or those who believe, be Fulfill your contractual obligations, fulfill your treaties, stand up for your word. As Mufti Muhammad ibn Adam Kothari mentioned last night. You have violated the treaty. And he came to the, and then the, the general explained, no I didn't, I was smart, I did like this. He said, no, non-aggression means you shouldn't even be planning. Technically you might be okay, but this is not, in the spirit, you know, by the letter of the law you're okay, but you did not follow the spirit of that agreement. So he said, no problem. With complete Shara Sadr, not out of compulsion because he had to, but recognizing that he said, look, when I moved forward, why did I move forward? For my gain? For my glory? For the glory of Allah. For the sake of Allah. If I go back, I go back for the sake of Allah. So he said, everyone give up your positions and we retreat. And they went back to the line. And they gave up all the newly conquered territories. So, examples upon examples of character, justice, these attributes. Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Those who had the tarbiyah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa they were this example. Sometimes those who did not have the tarbiyah, they behaved differently. Then they were corrected. And ex such, one of such example is Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu. was his companion of Rasulullah sallallahu He had the zuhbah of Rasulullah sallallahu He had the tarbiyah. He had the training, moral upbringing. But his son did not have that opportunity. He was the Fatih of Misr, the conqueror of Egypt. 
And his son, on one occasion, had a horse race with a Christian, who was a Pipti, the conquered nation, the vanquished nation. In, in that time and age, they would be slaughtered, they would have no rights. He had a horse race with him. This is the prince of Egypt. And what happened? The Christian's horse beat his horse in the race. He got so upset, he made a mistake. He took out his whip and he whipped him. He said, how dare you horse beat my horse. That Christian, he had heard of the justice of Umar ibn Khattab Umar. If there will be a prophet after me, it will be Umar. The Prophet said, Verily, wisdom sparks out from the tongue of Umar. Whichever alley he goes through, shaitan runs from that valley. So, he traveled from Egypt all the way to Medina. He goes to Umar and he complains that the prince of Egypt, son of Umar ibn al-As, he whipped me just because my horse beat his horse. Umar became so upset. He wrote a letter to the governor. When you receive this letter, upon receipt of this letter, you and your son must immediately present yourself in Medina. In my court, I was about to say, but he had no court. Where was his court? Under the tree. So he came, when Umar, Umar ibn al-As, he read the letter, he started shaking. Umar ibn al-As was an ordinary man. He was a great ambassador of the Quraysh from the Jahiliya time. Very wise person, very influential person. Great army general and politician, mashallah, statement of Islam. He is attacked by the Shias for different reasons. But he was a great asset to the Ummah. So when he read that letter, he became very scared. Because this is a letter of Ashadduhum fi amrillahi Umar. The strongest in the matter of the deen is Umar. Rasulullah said. So he told his son, what happened? Kya kya? What did, the, did you do? That he's upset. He said, no problem. We can, there's no way to escape now. We have to go. So he took his son came to Medina. When he came there, Umar asked his, this Christian, tell what happened. Narrate. He narrated the story. Umar ibn al-As said, Oh, Umar ibn Khattab, today is the most embarrassing day for me in my life. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sad. I did not do the proper tarbiyah of my son. He behaved in this, such a wrong manner. Please give me the opportunity. Give me the whip. That I will whip my own son. Just like he whipped him in retribution. As a punishment, as qisas. So what did Umar say? He thought he was being very fair. Umar ibn al-As to whip his own son. He took the justice to the next level. He said, oh Umar. You think this is justice? I give the whip to you as a father? You will be lenient with your son. This is not justice. How do you know how severely he beat the Christian? Are you going to match it, that level of severity? You will be light with your son. He took the whip and he put it in the hand of the Christian subject. And he said, you whip this prince. You whip the prince of Egypt. Exactly how much he whipped you. And then he said those golden words. That are worthy to be inscribed in gold. He said, Since when have you begun to treat such people as slaves? 
Such people as slaves. وَقَدْ وَلَدَتْهُمْ This wow is Haliya from my Nahu students. Right? وَقَدْ وَلَدَتْهُمْ أُمَّهَاتُهُمْ أَحْرَارًا In such a condition that their mothers had given birth to them as free men. The mother had given birth to him as a free man. You're treating him like a slave. Since when have you begun to treat people as slaves? And their mothers had given birth to them as free men. So when he took the whip in his hand, then he began to tremble. He began to shake. The Christian, he said, this is the prince of Egypt. And I am a lowly subject. And the whip dropped from his hands and he said, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. I testify there is no one worthy worship besides Allah, Muhammad Sallallahu Messenger of Allah. The, 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 problem, the thing is, my dear respected friends, these are not isolated incidents. There are so many incidents. Ali radiallahu anhu is traveling to the market. All of a sudden he sees somebody is selling a shield. It looks very familiar. He looks closer. This one in the time of Rasulullah he was granted in the battle. This was his own shield. It's being sold by a Jew in the market. He takes the Jew. He says, this is my shield. He said, no, it's not. Get lost. You know who is the Amir al-Mu'minin? Who is? He is not Umar's time. This is his time. Actually, this incident happened when he is the Khalifa. Now he is, you know, you talk about this, wow, the Western people, separation of uh, the executive branch and the judicial branch, right? And the legislative branch. I also went to eighth grade here, I had to pass the constitution test. <laughs> so we have the separation of powers. The executive branch is the president, the judicial branch is the Supreme Court, and the legislative branch is the Congress. So the Congress legislates and makes the laws, the president enforces the laws, and then you have the Supreme Court, it interprets the law when interpretation is required. You have separation of powers. This was there from our time. Separation of qada and the, and the hakam. The hakim was Umar uh, Ali radiallahu He was the ruler. But he couldn't just take it. The independence of the judiciary, this is not a novel concept for us. So what did he do? He took him to the court. His own student. His student is the, is the qadi, qadi shurayh. He went to Qadi Shuraih, the case went. Who is the Mudda'i? Who is the one who brings the claim? Ali radiallahu anhu. What's the claim? This one belongs to me. And, the, and who is the uh, defendant? He's the plaintiff, is Ali, and the defendant is the Jew. The Jew says, no, this is mine. I'm not giving it up. He knew it. How dare he say that when he's lying on top of it? It's because he knew that, you know, if he doesn't have evidence, I will get it. Even he's the ruler, it doesn't make a difference. True justice, subhanAllah. It's easy for me to say it and easier for you to hear it. And it's very difficult for either me or you to implement it. So he said, okay, so what did Rasulullah say? Al-Bayyinatu The burden of evidence to prove, uh, provide evidence is on the claimant, the plaintiff. And if he cannot bring the evidence, then the one who is the defendant, he can take an oath and say, Wallahi is lying and he can take it home. So he said, do you have evidence? So he said, I have Hassan ibn Ali, grandson of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi And I have this uh, slave, freed slave. So Qadi Shuri said, 
your witnesses do not qualify. How does a witness not qualify? Is he, is he a fasiq? Even a fasiq shahada technically is accepted in these matters. He said, have you not heard the narration of Rasulullah sallallahu He really wanted his, his uh, armor back because he got it from Rasulullah's time. He said, have you not heard Rasulullah said, the prince, uh, the leader of the youth of Jannah is Hassan and Hussein. I didn't say that, the Prophet said that, grandson of Rasulullah elder grandson, Hassan. He said, yeah, but he's testifying to, for his father. The other one is a freed slave, so he's biased. I need unbiased witnesses. You have it? So I don't have it. You went to the Yehudi, you, you take an oath, you can take it. He said, I'm... He said, really, I can take it home? He said, you can take it. At that point, he took the oath, it was decided in his favor. Then, Ali, when he saw it actually in practice, that he got the armor and the shield of Ali radiallahu anhu, and it was decided in his favor. After that, he was so overcome. He said, Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, of course, this truly does belong to you. Ali radiallahu anhu said, was, he was so impressed. Again, all the stories have the same ending. You know, when you were young, all the stories had the ending, and they lived happily ever after. Today, all of my stories have the same ending. And what did he say? Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. And again, and then when he, the one who recites this, he will live happily ever after in Jannah. Ali said, you became a Muslim? I am so pleased with your Islam that I want to give you a gift. What gift? What do you give a gift to brother? Oh, brother became Islam. Takbir Allah Akbar. We give him one musalla, one translation of Quran. He said, I give you a gift. This shield is a gift. The whole shield, take it back. Because you accepted Islam, I'm more pleased that you accepted Islam. Khayrun laka dunya. Subhanallah. The Prophet had told Ali himself in Khaybar. Ya Ali, oh Ali, if one person accepts Islam through you, it's better for you than the whole world or whatever contains. What is the shield? I feel embarrassed I had this case regarding a shield. Khamakha, shield. For the shield, I had a whole court case. It's okay. Take the shield and he gave him some few hundred dirhams on top of that as a gift because you have accepted Islam. So this is... And I have more stories, but the time has now come for, the, for us to prepare for Dhuhr. But the bottom line is, through our akhlaq, through our character, we can also become ambassadors of faith. And we have the examples of the Sahaba and Uman Tabi'ahum Bihsan, and those who follow afterwards as well, that they genuinely practice the faith, and that is how Islam spread. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you and all of us the tawfiq to follow in their footsteps, to be inspired by their examples, to love them from the bottom of our hearts, to learn their stories, to be inspired by them, share these stories with our children, give them that positive feeling, someone to be proud about, someone to look up to. They hear, they see on the media all the bad stories of Muslims, how the Muslims are being portrayed so negatively. This is the need of the hour. We need to share these stories with our Muslim children so they know about the reality of our faith. They know that how our pious predecessors were people of integrity, people of character, people of honor. And we need to share these stories with the non-Muslims on top of it so that they know the reality of our faith, what our faith teaches. Not those who are on the media and are doing all kinds of horrific acts in the name of Islam. We need to set the record straight. We need to start practicing ourselves. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to stand up to the, the great tasks that are upon us at this time, the great responsibilities we have. أَقُولُ قَوْلِ هَذَا وَاسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ لِسْتَائِرِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فَاسْتَغْفِرُوا إِنَّهُ الْأَفْرُ الرَّحِيمُ بَارَكَ اللَّهُ لَنَا وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ الْعَظِيمُ وَنَفَعَنَا وَيَّاكُمْ يَا فِيمِنَ الْآيَةِ وَذِكْرِ